Welcome back, guys. Another edition of the Ticket Liquidator Lunch Break Podcast starts right now. Episode 29 should be an exciting one. A lot of action late in the week. Kind of pumped up this episode. We've got music, we've got sports, and we're ready to bring it all to you right now. Let's start with the on sales. There's a lot. We've got Niall Horan with the 2018 leg of his tour with Marin Morris. That's going to include 36 shows. And he's out to prove that Harry Styles isn't the only one that can make a power move from the One Direction boy band. Trans-Siberian Orchestra keeps adding shows. It's the must-see Christmas rock orchestra all over the country. I believe they have two different performances. They kind of split off just so they can hit every city in the country. So don't worry. They're coming to a city near you. You can check out Ticket Liquidator for the whole concert schedule. That's definitely a must-see show this season. Cirque du Soleil Crystal has over 100 shows on sale. The epic acrobats are definitely coming to a city near you. Jeff Dunham, the talented ventriloquist, is coming back with the passively aggressive tour. That's always hilarious. MLB playoffs are right around the corner. It looks like the New York Yankees have punched their ticket with an impressive sweep of the Minnesota Twins. So Yankees fans can jump on those ticket sales because it looks like their ticket is punched. Luke Combs has a four shows in the country realm. And then to close it out, we've got 10 professional bull riding events. So all those are up on Ticket Liquidator right now. Check it out if you heard something that sparked your interest. And let's get started with some singles. One single that we were patiently waiting for, maybe not so patiently, at the end of last week, Post Malone and 21 Savage for Rockstar. Definitely I what I thought exceeded my expectations with the single. It's kind of a laid-back, chill song, but yet it's not one of those that's so chill that it makes you fall asleep. I really appreciated the vibe of it, but I know that for Nate, that's definitely his department with Post Malone. Yeah, this song was worth the wait and then some. A lot of fans in the hip-hop realm are talking about Beer Bongs and Bentleys, which is going to be Post Malone's next album. But interestingly enough, he's still touring for Stoney, that smash debut album. He's kind of been able to ride the coattails of that success for a long, long time and been able to keep new music off in the distance. But he comes back with Rockstar with 21 Savage. It's a really good song. The title lends itself to the off-the-wall attitude, obviously, with it being Rockstar. But Jenna was right. It is pure hip-hop, and it's a very chill vibe. It's definitely right up Post Malone's alley. The eerie keyboard and the heavy bass, both artists really feed off that beat. And 21 Savage kind of takes Post Malone's flow for a little bit in the start, but then about halfway through his verse, he kind of opens up and raps the way fans know he can. So a really good track for both of them. Definitely one I'm going to keep in rotation for a while until we hear more new music from Post Malone. A single that popped up this week, Blue Pill, with Travis Scott and Metro Boomin. I know Nate and I went back and forth discussing this before the episode. Definitely supposed to be a critique or at least an observation of hip-hop culture, but not something that particularly excels to either of their strengths. This was a mediocre track from two hip-hop titans in 2017. I wasn't impressed. The track seems a little rushed. There's not much in the way of any verses. Uh, the chorus can kind of get annoying and drowned out with Travis Scott's auto-tune. And the message they deliver is all about taking drugs in the Hollywood Hills, and that's not really what hip-hop is about. I mean, it's unfortunate that the narrative is kind of switched to that these days, but there are a bunch of rappers kind of combating that movement while a bunch are just c- trying to stay true to that. And the glorification of it is kind of hit or miss for a lot of hip-hop fans. It definitely was a miss for me. I, I think there are good songs that kind of can relay that message, but this definitely wasn't one of them. Completely switching up, back to our One Direction boy band member, Niall Horan. Harry Styles 
Not Your Time Right Now. Niall Horan's taking the spotlight. His debut album, Flickr, drops now October 20th. And the same day that we got the official album date announcement, we also got his third single, Too Much to Ask. It definitely leans back more into that pop singer-songwriter realm that this town was in. I personally am more of a fan of Slow Hands because I think the R&B mixed with a little country, mixed with a little pop, definitely suited him more and shows that he is a man and he's not a boy anymore, except Too Much to Ask is definitely heartfelt. It's an emotional ballad just about when, like, right after you break up with somebody and dealing with still wanting to be with them but knowing it's not a good idea. So it's not a bad one on his part. I am really excited, though, to see how the rest of the album pans out. I was impressed again from Niall Horan. This track kind of touches a couple different genres. The piano and drums combination is beautiful. Really like that. It's extremely effective in this song. He's trying to stay close to the pop realm, but I can definitely hear it in his voice. He sounds like so much of a country singer to me. I think that would be a great move for him to kind of just pick a genre, but he does, he does blend him very well on this track. I think the beat itself kind of strays toward a Sam Smith or Ed Sheeran type vibe, while his voice definitely does lend it to country. Uh, it sounds like he's benefiting from the split. He's definitely one that's taking advantage. I think they weren't on board to begin with. The way Zane left really left a bad taste in their mouth, but Niall Horan is definitely someone that can stand by himself and have a successful solo career. Super curious to what Zayn's second album sounds like, as he's not toured nor really promoted any new music besides one or two songs that have other people featuring on them. So I'm really curious because right now the other members that didn't really dramatically leave the band are stepping up and owning their solo careers. It'll be interesting to see if Zayn can equal, if not surpass them in his second album. Switching it up to Find You, Nick Jonas, another pop male singer. I was pretty impressed. This definitely leaned in towards the EDM realm, something a little different for him, but had a little bit of the Chains vibes that you, we did hear from him last year. So I definitely give it, I would say, a B plus. Musically speaking, this is definitely the most successful Jonas brother, and he's back with a hit that should crush it on the radio. The EDM rave is definitely where he dr got inspiration for this song. I think he even had an article where he said during a Coachella rave, this song kind of came to him. So that's usually when the best music is made. It's not in the studio force it kind of just happens through experience and natural causes and definitely a good song there's a little help from auto-tune on it but i think he delivers and i liked it as well the killers dropped their album wonderful wonderful today but their last single leading up to it was some kind of love wasn't my favorite out of the singles i think the man hit the original lead single for the album definitely surpassed it however i really liked the inspiration brandon flowers the lead singer his wife has ptsd from issues she had to face in her childhood, and this was written for her. He actually played a lot of the album for her, which is something apparently the band doesn't do very often, and it brought her to tears. So this and the emotional message behind it, I think, carry it for me. That's a great background story to the song. Brandon Flowers has definitely come of age. I remember reading up on The Killers as the album was about to drop. They kind of lost who they were after the Mr. Brightside fame. Uh, it seems like they are back on track with a great song and a great album. It'll be interesting to see how the true fans of The Killers react to this song because it is a huge switch up from what they normally do, but with such a powerful message behind it, I don't see how you could hate on this song. Definitely the piano and soft drums, like it's a softer song, it's a more emotional song, so that kind of makes sense that it's an ode to his wife, but I think they did a really good job. It's a little bit different, but that doesn't mean it's not good. 
Maggie Rogers, she's killing me. I thought that this was going to be her lead single off of her upcoming album after the EP, Now That the Light is Fading, dropped last year after her NYU instance with Pharrell that gained her fame and also a record deal. But Splitting Stones, though it definitely is really good, and I'll get into that, is just kind of an excess of music she made in college that she released as a farewell to fans right now so she can go and take time and write music to record for her debut album so fans unfortunately we're going to have to wait a while to hear her actual album but splitting stones is definitely right in that alley of folk songwriting yet has that edm dance hall vibe pretty cool beats particularly in the beginning of the song i really liked it i just can't wait for more music i think it's definitely going to be worth the wait she's the new darling of alternative rock. She's got that indie feel to her as well, so everything she makes is kind of authentic. And I don't know if you saw it, but she actually had a handwritten letter on her Instagram page kind of giving fans the overall message of how crazy her last year was. She kind of needs to take a step back from the music and just throw herself into the debut album, like Jenna said. So she's going to focus on that and make it worth the listen for sure. This is a really good song, though. It's kind of how she needs that break from fame. It's actually debuted in a North Face ad, so for somebody just as young as her with not a lot of fame to snag that is definitely a power move, and I think her career trajectory is skyrocketing right now. We are both excited for the next move that Maggie Rogers makes. We're going to have to wait for it, but as I said, I think it'll be worth it. Macklemore and Kesha, who would have ever thought a year or two ago you would be saying those two names together, but both of them look to be shaping up to have huge 2017s for their career. Kesha, we already know, with Rainbow, for me, I was not impressed leading up and then kind of opened myself to it and really fell in love with it. Macklemore, he dropped Gemini today. I'm really excited about it. We'll get into that next week, but they collabed for Good Old Days, the single that dropped earlier this week. Macklemore's album, let me say, it is hip-hop, but there's also a heavy amount of pop to it, forewarning for any big hip-hop fans, and this definitely leaned more into that indie pop realm that he's kind of experimented with. It's just reminiscing with the nostalgia of being young, regrets he has, things he wants to improve, which is a heavy topic for him, as he definitely has had a history of alcohol and drug abuse. It's something he openly talks about, so I really liked it. I can definitely see it being a radio edit single. Macklemore for me is one of those artists that I always put to the back burner. I never give him enough credit, but once I hear his music, I'm like, damn, he is really good. He did it again. I cannot wait to dive into the album. We were playing a little bit of it before we got on the air, and it sounds like I'm going to like it a lot. He's got such a good flow, such a good voice, and he can actually relate to so many of his fans because, as you said, Jenna, he had problems in his past that he's not ashamed to open up about, and I think allowing fans to connect with him on a personal level like that really hits home for a lot of them. So Macklemore is definitely back in a big way. He's kind of that guy that stays out of the spotlight while he's not making music. And then once he comes back, he lets his music do the talking. I definitely like artists that stray towards that way of thinking. So I'm excited to project and we'll see how it is next week. And also to note quickly, not on his album, but he also dropped a song change with Ben Abraham this week. It, it was interesting because the way he released it, it was kind of supposed to be an extra excess, but yet in that it still led hype to the building up of his album. I think we're going to switch over to maybe the male version of Maggie Rogers. Khalid comes out with another song called Perfect. Uh, he was very open about the process of making this song. He put it on SoundCloud in its rawest form. Quote, unquote, it was a rough draft for him, but if these are the rough drafts. I'd love to see what the final project sounds like. It's a very raw, emotional song. 
all acoustic guitar, which is interesting because Location is definitely his biggest hit, and that was blowing up on the hip-hop and R&B charts, but he's definitely much more than that. You can't really pigeonhole him in a genre quite yet. We're really excited to see where Khalid's career goes because it sounds like he's very versatile. He can do a lot of things. He can be on a song with Logic in hip-hop and have a number one hit in Location and then come out with a song. So we'll see where he goes next from here, but Perfect is worth a listen. How much do I love this nug? He keeps just kind of excelling. I was a little unhappy with his VMA performance solo. I think it was a classic rising star. Didn't really nail it uh, in regards to pitch, but then he excelled when he performed with Logic and Alessia Cara. So I think he's one of those that's going to keep building on the bricks of his early career and keep excelling. I think this showing your fans the struggles of being on the road, that seems to be a really common subject. For, you know, you have all this fame and life's so great, but that doesn't mean that you're happy and that everything's perfect. And this definitely relates to the fact that he's on his American teen tour. And, you know, there's struggles of being on the road and being away from your family and friends. I think it's really great to put the rough draft version up. And I'm hoping there's that means there's more music to come. Yeah, we forget that he's only 18, 19. I don't know if he's had a birthday recently, but he came onto the scene at such a young age. So to handle all that fame, handle being away from family, it's all so new to him and it's all happened so fast. So I think he's going to be able to find himself in the music and that's what this track was. And we're hoping for the best for him and we can't wait to hear more music. And I think we're going to close it out with Miley Cyrus. Week Without You, this is going to be, I want to say her third or fourth single. Younger Now is dropping next week, so we'll get to hear that album review in a few weeks. I'm still not thinking I'm going to be obsessed with it, but again, like Kesha's, the singles, I was a little worried of with hers too. However, this I think is my favorite. Malibu, I thought, sounded a little off-key, and there was something just off about it. Where this, it's soulful, it's a breakup anthem. I'm assuming it's about the time that her and Liam Hemsworth decided they were going to split apart, but honestly, it's hard to always point names when you don't know what's going on in someone's personal life. But it is a little bit different for her, and I think that uh, interviews I've read, her Billboard cover story this year, she's really just finding who she is and what makes her happy. Uh, Doesn't mean that her twerking phase and whatnot wasn't genuine when that happened, but she's just growing up and realizing what she wants. It's pretty exciting to see. Yeah, this one had a little bit of soul, a little bit of folk, and a lot of heartbreak. It was definitely that breakup anthem. I definitely prefer this type of Miley Cyrus over the hip-hop one. I think that did seem a little forced, but with the new singles that she's released, she's back in control of her music and her life, and although it's not all going perfect, I think musically she's in a great place uh, to keep moving forward, so that's always good, and we can't wait for the album. I think we're going to start on our one album review this week. Foo Fighters dropped Concrete and Gold. Like I had mentioned in the last episode, Greg Kirsten is a producer, and that's a really big name because he's worked with Adele, Sia, a lot of big female pop stars and pop stars in general, so he definitely added his personal touch to it. There's a few songs I want to hint at, but just in general, it is a very classic Foo Fighters album, yet with a pop-eccentric twist that I think makes it more interesting than some of their more recent releases. It still has that hard rock vibe to it, has you know the classic Dave Grohl screams and whatnot, that makes it Foo Fighters and Murka, but at the same time, I think that they've tried to amp up their game a little bit, testing out the waters. For example, very, very faintly and subtly, but in Make It Right, it's actually Justin Timberlake's vocals in the background. When they were recording in the studio, he came in and they kind of talked about collaborating. He's not given a credit on it, but it's still pretty cool to know that. 
taking it back to old school rock and pop. Paul McCartney is actually on drums. He has a big solo in Sunday Rain. That's kind of shows the huge bookends of the features and the different inspirations they found from it. But one I wanted to note personally is T-Shirt. It's basically a really sentimental girl song. He rented an Airbnb and wrote all the music for it, kind of away from everything, just digesting what's been going on in his life. And it's him questioning everything going around him, whether it's explicitly political, probably not, but definitely a hint to what's going on. Yeah, this album just screams Dave Grohl for me from the features he was able to grab. That kind of just shows you the clout that he has in the music industry, being able to get JT and Paul McCartney. I think that move to kind of just seclude himself from the world and focus on his music definitely helped in the long run. And like you said, he, there is that classic Dave Grohl that fans love to hear, but if he just does that over and over, the product kind of comes worn down, and that pop aspect of it is really going to is really what is going to attract fans to listen to the whole thing. I think three of the highlights for me were Happy Ever After, The Sky is a Neighborhood, and Sunday Rain. Obviously, I'd love to hear any music that involves Paul McCartney, so that's going to be one that fans are going to love to hear. In general, I think the Foo Fighters fall into a weird patch of never really pushing enough to get past the standard Foo Fighters music that we hear. However, this was definitely a good attempt. I give it about a B, a B minus, but definitely a good progression and it's exciting to see them try new things. Now, I think we're going to switch it up to sports. There's a lot going on, football, golf, and some NBA drama, but let's start it out with major golf tournament news. The PGA Tour Championship started yesterday and it goes through Sunday. It's at Eastlake Golf Club in Atlanta, Georgia, and this is going to be the last event for the FedEx Cup. A lot of money on the line, a lot of leaders on the board. Nate, what's looking good for you? I always find it so funny that Eastlake Golf Club is in Atlanta because we spend so much time talking about trap music and hip-hop from Atlanta, and then you have one of the fanciest golf clubs in the world hosting the PGA Championship. But I think there's a common misconception that golf isn't exciting, and they're always looking for new ways to kind of attract younger fans, make it appealing to the masses. And the PGA Tour playoffs is the way to do that. It's become so successful. It's now in its 10th year. With only 30 players in the field, that means every golfer is playing their best golf right now. You have a lot of work to do to qualify for the Tour Championship as the playoffs start with 125 hopefuls and gets whittled down to 30 by the time they get to the Tour Championship. For Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Mark Leishman, and John Rahm, the formula is simple. The way the FedEx Cup is set up, if you're in the top five and you win this tournament, then you take home the $10 million and you're the FedEx Cup champion and your lives change forever, undoubtedly. Uh, a little bit of history here, too. For Jordan Spieth, he's actually trying to become the first multiple winner of the or the second multiple winner of the FedEx Cup since Tiger Woods did it in 2007 and 2009. Oh, how I miss Tiger Woods, but still praying for that comeback. But anyway, we'll see if Jordan Spieth can make that history. As of right now, Kyle Stanley's kind of putting a bump in the road for all of the FedEx Cup hopefuls. He's in the lead right now, but it won't matter much because John Rahm, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, and Dustin Johnson are all hot on his heels. They're all a couple strokes back, so we're, the pressure's going to be on on Sunday for sure, and we're hoping for another crazy moment like Bill Haas's chip out of the water when he was the champion, or Rory McIlroy's clutch putt to kind of hold off the competitors back when he won the FedEx Cup championship. 
I think we're going to hold off on the ridiculous NBA drama until the remaining part of the episode. So let's switch it up to some major college football going down this weekend. Number six, Oklahoma State versus number 19, TCU. Seems like on paper that you would obviously pick Oklahoma State to win this. They've easily won the games leading up to this. However, TCU is not a team to be underestimated. They faced some big teams and definitely pulled out huge wins against Arkansas and SMU recently. So if they focus on running the ball and controlling the clock against a really nasty Oklahoma State, then they have a shot of winning. I still pin Oklahoma State kind of crushing them on this one, but it's definitely going to be an exciting match with the way TCU is playing. I'm excited for this game. It's number six, Oklahoma State, against number 16, TCU. And TCU's kind of got that tradition. They've been to Rose Bowls. They are they hold their they hang their hat on defense. They're a big physical team, and it's going to be interesting to see if they can keep up with the smooth, quick, finesse offense of Oklahoma State. Because before the season, nobody was really talking about Oklahoma State, but we've seen this narrative before where they come out on fire. They always have a high-powered offense, but it seems to fade away as the season goes on. Their defense can't quite keep up with the, what the offense can produce. So. Oklahoma State, the verdict is still out, but they're off to another hot start, and nobody was talking about him before the season started, but Mason Rudolph is the engineer of the high-powered offense. He's an amazing quarterback, perfect for the college football world. He's got a little bit of mobility to him. He can run when he needs to. He can keep the play alive. He moves the pocket a lot, and he's got a rifle for an arm, and if he's going downfield, he usually finds his main weapon, James Washington, who already has three touchdowns on the season, so that connection will be big. If TCU can slow that down, they can definitely stay in this game. I expect this to be a bit of a shootout because, as I said, for as high-powered as Oklahoma State's offense is, their defense is susceptible to the big play as well. So I think Oklahoma State holds on late in a very close game. The other big game this weekend, number 17, Mississippi State versus number 11, Georgia. A few kind of more minor notes before we get into the exciting one. Almost an underdog for this game. Georgia QB, they've had a bunch of issues at that position because it was supposed to be Jacob Eason, but now the freshman Jake Fromm is kind of stepping up and taking over the plate there. Doesn't make them any less of a good team, doesn't make them susceptible to probably winning this game, but to put it in the hands of a freshman is definitely a tricky move there. However, the really exciting story here is Mississippi State, not only did they take over LSU last week, but QB Nick Fitzgerald is a story, and if they end up beating Georgia, he's definitely going to be one that people are talking about. Kind of one of those underdogs that's taken over the team and has led them to some pretty big wins so far, so it'll be exciting to see them possibly take over Georgia as well. Yeah, to just touch on Nick Fitzgerald really quick, he's got a little bit of that Johnny Manziel magic in him. He can keep the play alive. He's got a lot of heart. He's got a lot of grit. He loved the intangibles he brings to the quarterback position, and they definitely were on full display as Mississippi State just manhandled LSU. That was one of the most surprising results of college football last week. As for Georgia, they can get a, they can kind of get away with starting the freshman quarterback because they rely so heavily on their defense. I think in the SEC, there are a few defenses that strike more fear into the heart of a quarterback in opposing offenses than Georgia, especially at home. It's known as between the hedges where they kind of lock down. Their home fans are incredible, and there's a lot of intensity and nerves that go into playing at Georgia. I think the attention will be straight away from the QB situation in Georgia, though, because they have an incredible running back, Nick Chubb. He is such a good ball player, and he had a gruesome knee injury. I think fans can remember a couple years ago, he broke his 
ankle and knee very badly when he was in the Heisman race a couple years ago, and his rehab process has just been amazing to watch. He's back on top of his game. I think he'll be an incredible NFL running back when his name gets called in the NFL draft, so we'll see how that all shapes out. But Nick Fitzgerald's going to control the offense for Mississippi State while Georgia tries to control the tempo and give the ball to Nick Chubb. I'm guessing he'll get at least 25 carries in this game, try to milk the clock and keep this a low-scoring game because Georgia is definitely in the hunt in the SEC East, and this game will go a long way to deciding who is going to win it. NFL had a crazy week two, and if it's anything leading into week three, I'm kind of curious to see how the season plays out. No surprise to start. The Pats won over the Saints 36-20. I should say no surprise because of how badly they were kind of beaten in week one, definitely coming back with a vengeance, but the Saints team is no joke. Definitely have my eye on the Chiefs this year, though. I don't really think a lot of people would have said that going in, but they won over the Eagles last week, making them 2-0, and and that 2-0 includes the Pats and includes the Eagles, and those are pretty big teams to have under your belt. Unfortunately, the Cowboys lost in Week 2, and the Falcons beat the Packers, which kind of just shows the intensity of Julio Jones and the rest of the Falcons, what they have to bring this season. We might be seeing another Super Bowl run for them. However, one of the big, big topics that I know Nate has a lot of feels about is the New York Giants. In week three, they are playing the Eagles. That's an old rivalry. They lost to, the Eagles lost to the Chiefs last week, um, and it's kind of been this iffy story with the Giants. They're now 0-2, and they've been outscored by 30 points. Basically, though, the Giants' defense is still one of the best in the NFL. The offense is such a hot mess, I don't even really know where to start with that. Yeah, definitely a couple deep sighs before delving into this topic. The Giants are just a frustrating team to watch right now, from the offensive line being terrible to questioning Eli Manning to questioning the head coach to the defense being overrated. It just seems every stone you turn over in terms of the New York Giants organization, there's a huge question mark right now. I think it definitely does start with the offensive line, though. The lack of talent that they have had there for the past couple years is finally manifesting itself because as Eli Manning gets older he really can't move around in the pocket anymore he just needs to start making quicker reads quicker throws I think Odell Beckham Jr. continuing to get healthy is a huge step for them because he attracts so much attention from the defense they really just can't key in on Eli Manning but there's no run game and the defense is sliding a little bit because but that's only because they've been on the field for so long the Giants drive this year is run, run, incomplete pass. So it's just been frustrating to watch. The defense is tired, and no one has made a huge play yet. They've had a turnover. They've had a couple sacks, but there's been no momentum-changing plays that really swing it in their favor and kind of strike fear in the other team's heart. The, the loss to the Cowboys was 19-3, to and the Giants just never got anything going. And then on Monday Night Football, they fall to the Detroit Lions, who were trying to give the Giants the game. It was 17-10 to entering the fourth quarter. And if you watch that game, you would think the score would be 28-7 to Lions. But there the Giants were with a chance to win it. Eli Manning throws a perfect pass, and clank, it goes right off the hands of offseason acquisition Brandon Marshall. The ensuing punt gets returned for a touchdown. And from there, the air was just sucked out of MetLife Stadium and it was a disheartening 24-10 to loss. And then they have to travel to Philadelphia where Carson Wentz is 
becoming one of those quarterbacks to look out for. He's young, he's talented, he's mobile, he's got a little bit of Aaron Rodgers in him in the way that he can extend the play and rifle the ball down the field 50 yards. That was no more evident than when he did it in week one against the Redskins for a touchdown to Nelson Aguilar. So the Giants have their work cut out for them. They have the talent, but they need to switch up their game plan a little bit and go about this a different way because the way they're doing it right now is pretty much banging their head against the wall and getting nowhere. The other big game coming up for week three, Oakland Raiders versus Washington Redskins, and that goes down on Washington's home turf in Maryland. The Redskins are 1-1, one one, however, don't let that 1-1 one one kind of deter you. It's super early in the season, and with QB, Kirk Cousins, they have a great passing offense that can definitely push the Redskins to a great season and is definitely going to challenge a really hot Raiders right now. They're 2-0 and for the first time starting the season in 15 years, and with QB Derek Carr, it's definitely impressive. People are worrying that there might he might sputter out because he's young and he's off to a really great start. You just kind of hope that this lucky streak actually turns into a talent streak and he continues. He's completed 75% of his passes, and they also have a really good secondary team on defense. So if the Raiders can keep this up, they're definitely going to plow over the Redskins, but the Redskins are not to be underestimated. Raiders are an interesting team for me because last year they were – scheduled to play the New England Patriots in the first round going into the last week of the season. But Derek Carr unfortunately broke his ankle. It kind of changed the narrative for the Raiders. They still made the playoffs, but it was an unimpressive first-round loss to the Houston Texans. So Derek Carr has a lot to prove. I think that ankle is looking amazingly healthy. Last week he threw a trio of touchdown passes to Michael Crabtree and an easy win for them. They have played easy opponents so far this season, but I think the return of Marshawn Lynch to his hometown of Oakland has just brought such an energy to that team, to that stadium. They are rallying behind their team before they take off for Las Vegas. It's going to be heartbreaking when that does happen, but I think the mission in that locker room is to bring a Super Bowl to Oakland before they leave for Las Vegas, so look out for the Raiders. And in terms of Kirk Cousins, an underwhelming start to the season. Uh, that passing attack is extremely explosive, but it has yet to get off the ground with Terrell Pryor and young star Josh Dotson. So this is a huge year for Kirk Cousins. I think one of the biggest stories of the offseason was why aren't the Redskins going to pay him? The quarterback position in the NFL is so valuable, and they keep franchise tagging Kirk Cousins, which is kind of a slap in the face. It's, it's pretty much saying to a player, I want to pay you, but I don't want to commit to you long term. So Kirk Cousins has a lot to prove, and if he can have a big year, then the Redskins have to cough up a lot of money to keep him, or he might be uh, a new franchise's star quarterback. He's saying that he wants to stay in Washington, but we'll see how this season unfolds because they're looking underwhelming so far after a loss to the Eagles and squeaking out an overtime win to the Los Angeles Rams has them at 1-1 one one so far. I think we're going to finish up this episode by delving into some crazy NBA drama that went down. Let's first start out with the less ridiculous. Kyrie was on first take this week, and they were drilling and drilling and drilling him on LeBron questions, and he was giving them very, very little in return, showing a pretty confident Kyrie going into this season. I think that's exciting for fans of him personally as a player, but it's just never fun to always see player against player, team against team, and have that be dredged up. His answers, though, and his reactions, if you do Google it, were pretty hilarious. Yeah, for Celtics fans, I think this was a, a good experience for him on first take. I think that's where most of the drama is stemming from. But for us aspiring journalists, it left a bad taste in our mouth. Kyrie Irving was very vague. I think he handled it the exact way he wanted to. Some were tongue-in-cheek, but I'm just 
upset with him in general right now, so I'm not too happy about it. He was very condescending to Max Kellerman, definitely showed favoritism towards Stephen A. Smith, so it just left a weird taste in everybody's mouth, and I think the next couple days on every sports talk show was, did you see that Kyrie interview, Kyrie Irving interview, what's up with Kyrie Irving? It was very weird, very close to the chest, but I think that's the way he's going to keep it moving forward. He's definitely just focusing, focusing on his upcoming career in Boston and how he can change the narrative in the Eastern Conference and take down LeBron James, but very odd interview as his first as a Boston Celtic, and it was, if you're going to go on first take and on a national televised show and not give out any answers, uh, it was just a head-scratching moment for Kyrie Irving, but I think he's a smart young man, and he definitely knew what he was doing going on to the show, so it was definitely well-orchestrated just a little bit off-putting. That's a really good point because if you sign up to do it, then you're committing to putting yourself out there. But it brings up a really good point of journalism in general. A lot of players, a lot of musicians now with their social media accounts don't particularly need publications in order to get their point across or in order to promote and market themselves because now they can do it on their own. And whenever they wade into you know, the shark pool of journalists to be stereotypical, they never really have control over how the story or the interview is going to pan out. And a lot of people either won't do interviews or they get really nervous about it and they'll be misquoted. A lot of the time there's misogyny when it's a male journalist against a female player or musician. And the story, you know, when it comes out, it's out there and you can't do anything about it. So it just, I think, brings up a point of journalism in general versus fame and celebrities and how they're portrayed. He definitely was trying to show a point by not saying anything, but it's certainly made for headline news and, if not, a little petty. Switching to something, though, even pettier, Kevin Durant, one of the most, if not the most, talented NBA players in the game, was caught this week for having a bunch of fake Twitter and other social media accounts that he would go on in order to defend himself with trolls' comments and people's comments from fans and whatnot. A lot of them related to his former organization and his former coach, which is something that he stepped out and apologized for. He did own up to it, but basically it shows that no matter how talented you are, self-confidence is something you have to build on your own. What a shame. If you ask me two years ago with Kyrie Irving on the Cavs and KD on the Thunder, those are two of my favorite players to watch, to root for in the NBA. But now with Irving being a Celtic and KD on the Warriors, they are easily two of my least favorite players. Kevin Durant, just a head-scratching move. He doesn't change his accounts and bashes his past coaches, his past teammates. Uh, Oklahoma City was really very open arms for Kevin Durant. They welcomed him as a son. He was easily their, the city's favorite player. I think he and Russell Westbrook's relationship kind of got blown out of proportion. It seemed like they were always butting heads or disagreeing, but OKC always had a soft spot for Kevin Durant. So for him to go back and talk negatively about them was really tough to see. Kind of changes your perception about him, but he since apologized and said, I think it was a quote that he plays basketball, he has acne, he loves playing Xbox, he drinks beers, he slides into DM, so he's more like everybody else than they want to make him out to be. And I think his apology went over really well, but it's just going to be one of those head-scratching moments and kind of take over the narrative of the season early on. I think it's going to be all anybody wants to talk about until he proves it on the basketball court that he's still got it and makes everybody forget about it. For now, in the preseason when there's not much going on, and you're bashing your ex-team like that on a fake social media account, though, 
that's what we call not a good look. So KD's got some work to do to kind of repair his image. Obviously, the talent is still there, and the Warriors are going to dominate when the season starts, but just a weird way to kick things off. From music to sports and beyond, something that we continue to forget about is that these celebrities, when you get so famous and so talented, or people too, they deal with the same type of stuff, and you can hear that over and over again and never believe it, but it really is true, and I love that quote, and I think it's just kind of an ode to the fact that, particularly with athletes, there's young men going through everything, growing up and whatnot, and they're subject to mistakes at times. This is certainly one of them, but could be a lot worse, and I'm hoping that his season coming up, he's going to prove that his talent is worth it all along. Well, I think that's all we have for this week's episode of Ticket Liquidator Lunch Break Podcast. Crazy to say it, but next week's going to be episode number 30, and we're really excited for you guys to tune in for that. Have a good weekend.